What's the deal here? Having some technical difficulties. Anyway, ladies, gentlemen, those beyond the binary, poets, perverts, explorers of all kinds, shapeshifters, bandy snifters, uplifters, brooms and swiffers, welcome to Busted Mouth on Q4 Radio, a show about rock and roll, sticking it to the man and your big stupid feelings, streaming around the world every single Monday, mostly, most Mondays, from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. on Apple Radio, the TuneIn app, 1680 a.m. in Chicago, and of course, Q4.org, Q-U-E-4.org, shots, I'm J.W. Basilla, your host, as always, happy Monday, I hope it's going well for you, you deserve it, it's nice out there if you're local, if you're uh, listening in Chicago, it's, uh, it's a nice place to be, uh, it's sunny, and um, yeah, it's nice, it was warm, it was too warm in a couple places I went today, so that was, that was kind of cool, um, enjoying that, anyway, enjoy the, enjoy the weather if you're out there, uh, don't get too excited, don't start wearing shorts, it's not a day for flip-flops, just, you know, keep yourself, keep yourself under wraps, you know, slow roll this thing, anyway, uh, where are we at, man, man, my, um, the good Lord is testing my faith, I'm just kidding, I don't, I don't worship a Lord, but I have some things, I, I guess I have, I have nothing but coffee and uh, uh, emodium to aid me in times of, uh, in my times of woe, but, uh, my faith in both, um, my faith in both uh, myself and my metal are being tested by the greater universe at large right now. I'm, uh, I'll admit it, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit against some, uh, against some big life changes and challenges, and I'm not sure if I can rise to them. Uh, I have some, I got some, I got some things, I got some cobwebs I got to clear out of, uh, out of some stuff. I got some anger in the basement that I need to uh, subside uh, or figure out how to uh, force it to subside. Anyway, we're, we're hanging in there. Some big stupid feelings, but, uh, you know, that's all I'm going to say at the moment, lest I bury you all in my anxiety. And really, who benefits? Not I, not you. I'm happy and committed to being open and, and honest and vulnerable here on the show, true believers. But but sometimes I I protect you from the deluge of of nonsense just for your own good. Also, I don't know that anyone cares because you got your own shit going on. Like people are just busy. I get that. Um, but I do want to give you a couple of quick dates. Uh, it is my plan to dedicate much of the next year to building a stage practice again. Um, uh, especially as I've been talking to guests who who knew me in a former life, or knew me a few years ago, or knew me when we were I was doing shows constantly, uh, it, it's it's kind of sparked some things. But anyway, I, I used to do two to five live appearances every single week, and now if I do two inside of a month, it feels kind of rare. Uh, but I'm but I'm working on it. I I do plan to work on it. Um, so expect to see more of me on stage in 2020. This show is not going to change. Uh, if anything, it'll change for the better. So this show is not going anywhere. Those of you that really care, uh, and thank you for those of you that really care. Those of you who show up every week. Um, but you'll see more of me on stage, especially now that uh, the winter hibernation is, is kind of going away and, and slowly lifting and things are turning a bit nicer. Uh, I'm more inclined to go out and uh, see the world. That said, this very Thursday at uh, the Hungry Brain on Belmont for Story Club, I'll be doing 10 minutes. Uh, it's no big deal, I, it, but it's, it, the, the time isn't the big deal. There's no big deal about doing 10 minutes. The story itself, though, is going to be kind of fudge and wild. Uh, so that'll be this Thursday, March the 5th at 730, 7 Zero. Uh, 1930, for those of you across the pond, if you feel like jumping on a plane just to see it. I know 
I know you're that rabid. Uh, anyway, Hungry Brain on Belmont. Also, early warning, I am 90% sure it's going to be happening April 25th right here at Q4 Studios, QUE4.org. <laughs> anyway, uh, April 25th is going to be my birthday. And in addition to sending me Rolexes and suits, um, just, you know, like a, like a big boy, like a, like a big boy who needs to dress like one that, that you're going to do for me. Just say, Why? I don't even care about watches and suits. What am I talking about? Why am I, I'm a little keyed up. You know what it is? It was warm today. And because it's warm today, I went and got the cold brew, the old Dunkin' Donuts, keep my lifeblood alive cold brew. And uh, I kind of have been housing this thing on the way over, and I'm a little keyed up. I'm a little, uh, oops, Yahtzee, uh, a little keyed up. Anyway, April 25th, right here at Q4 Studios, my birthday. Uh, I'm going to be doing about an hour of unreleased material recorded live. You can come. It will be free. Uh, it'll be kind of like a potluck. And by potluck, I mean uh, you can bring pot and uh if you're lucky, you'll get a seat. What? You like that? You proud of yourself? Are you proud of yourself? Uh, no, but it, I'm just going to invite a bunch of people over. And uh, I'm just going to sit down uh, with a guitar in my lap and a pedal board at my feet and a microphone in my face and uh, probably a couple cameras for, for uh, posterity. And we'll just let the tape roll and we'll make, uh, we'll make a record together. And if it's terrible, then only the people that show up will get to hear it. And if it's good, then the world will get to hear it. And that's just kind of how I like doing things. Um, I'm always, my, my biggest, why not just get into this? Uh, I always loved, uh, everyone knows I love Tom Waits, but I specifically love Tom Waits' Nighthawks at the diner uh, because I love the fact that his band is so tight and they were so good and they sounded terrific, but it was a live recording. You can feel the, 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 you could feel the audience there. You could feel the people in his lap. You allow him to kind of be the personality that he is, be the funny person that he is. Uh, and you get, the, you get the actual reaction of the crowd, but it's still a good-sounding record. It's not a bad live record. And it was written and recorded. None of those songs were recorded elsewhere. It was just, I wrote this record. We're going to do this record in front of an audience and record it. And I've always loved that. And I went, why, do I, why would I ever... I mean, I understand why I would record uh, things in a studio, obviously, but I would love to do all my albums that way if, I, if, I, if, if the plan is to continue to do albums I would love to do all the albums that way it also allows me you know to kind of talk and tell stories and, and uh, be a little be the person that I am be a little bit funny in between songs instead of just like song 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 overdub big loud uh, just make it on a laptop anyway I'm not that kind of person or I don't feel like I'm that kind of person or at least not that, not that kind of artist at the moment I'm rambling bro because I'm feeling sad and I'm working my way around it working it out recorded live you can come free more details on the website. Uh, once we're confirmed, I'll, I'll send all that official stuff out anyway. The glorious, talented Elizabeth Gomez is my guest today. Uh, we're going to be chopping it up in the 1 o'clock hour. But first, but first, of course, you, uh, you, can't, you can't bust your mouth without a bit of the rock and roll. And this, feels, this one feels appropriate today. Sometimes you find yourself in a place that only this song, and this song specifically, can find you. Uh, this one will always cure what ails you. Sometimes you just got to howl a little bit. You feel me? You know me. TV on the radio. Wolf like me. Let's party.
Big surprises there. You know it and you love it. Sir Duke, Stevie Wonder, one of the uh, one of the new tracks off of that album. Kidding. Jokes, not even a good one. Uh, we all know that song. We all love that song. My my guest today, my very esteemed guest, uh, happens to be in studio, chose that song, and claims it as her own personal theme song. Say what's up, Elizabeth. How you doing? You doing Hi, good? how are you? I'm, I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited that you're here, too. Uh, so why Sir Duke, and why is that your favorite, your personal theme song? You know, I don't think that anyone can ever hear that song and not feel super excited about living. Really? It's, it's just one of those songs that like brings nothing but joy to your heart. Like, it, so when you when you hear it, like, do you hear that first uh, the bump, and it just immediately turns it on for you? Yes, that's the, it. Mo- the moment this, the, the 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 beats start coming in, I'm I'm in. I also think it's like a song that doesn't. It's it's so layered. There's so many mm-hmm. layers to the song. Sure. Right? So I even love like in the background you can hear him being like yeah yeah, <laughs> and then all the different percussion like like layering and um, who doesn't love horns? Oh yeah, I mean that's what I grew up. I mean on. I don't know how you can't you hear a horn and you're like this is this is going to be a good day. Yeah. Well, and I love that horn ba- horn bands and horn sections have come back in, into like popular vogue because uh, I grew up on Motown and Stax and like my dad. All, his favorite bands are all horn bands. So that's what I grew up on. And I was like, yep. horns. And so I was into it, and then it kind of went away for like 25 years. And now all these bands are, are bringing horn sections back, which is yeah, awesome. Yeah, I think well, in the 90s, didn't we have like a moment of like ska. lots of ska? Coming? But ska was like not a I mean, it's ska. It's, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like it was great. Ska was basically just an excuse to get a uh, trombone player laid. That was it. Yeah. That's all it was there for. Well, I really liked I remember in the 90s, I loved uh, No Effects. I was super into oh, yeah? them. And that was like a, a lot of big, big horns and a right, lot of right, music. Right. But it was a little bit more like punk that. than yeah. ska. Yeah. Remember horn section? Yeah. And then when there's that swing thing that happened in the in like 98, 99. Do you yeah. remember this? Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Big, voodoo, big Bad Voodoo Daddy. <laughs> cherry Pop. Cherry Pop and Daddies. Great name. <laughs> Terrific name to have children dancing to uh, on pop radio. It was so weird. So do you remember the first time you heard Sir Do? Like do you remember when that song got you? I cannot remember when I first heard that song. I feel like it's always been in the background of my life. You know, my father was a huge Motown fan. Um, and loved R&B, and so uh, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, all those like yeah, Twilight, sure. Delphonics, oh, yeah, yeah, all yeah. all part of the my OJs, childhood. All that bit, yeah. And actually, it's really. Um, when I was just thinking about this this morning. Is that like I don't know my dad, right? So mm. he left when I was like a, a young child. Oh, okay. And then I saw him one time for like five minutes when I was sixteen. I spent a weekend with him when I was nineteen, and now I'm forty six, and I've never, I've never seen him since. So. You know, my, my memories of my dad is very limited, but when he left, uh, one of the things that he left behind was his record collection. Huh. So that was all that I ever had of my father. So I don't know exactly what or who my father is, but I definitely have a sense of who he is by what he left behind. Sure. And um, his album collection was all of these great bands, yeah, you know, yeah, Bretton yeah. Wood. Yeah. And um, I very much became attached to it at a, at a young age. So I remember growing up in this small town in Virginia. Um, that that was the music that I was listening to, but like all my peers were listening to um, a lot of the classic rock, sure, a lot of uh, '90s hair metal. I mean, not '90s, '80s hair 80s metal bands. Yeah. Um, and I was at home listening, <laughs> listening to <laughs> yeah, the yeah. shy lights. <laughs> Yo, that but that's what I did too when I was a little kid because my dad would. My dad, uh, he was around, but he he worked a lot, so he was just not home a ton. Um, and I figured out, I learned how to work the record player, like the turntable, at a really young age. So I remember just all day. Just picking out, just pulling records down. Like, I wonder what this one sounds like. Yeah. I wonder what this one is. And just pulling things out. Um, stuff that had, you know, colorful spine and stuff I'd never heard of. And, like, I had, you know, my dad's favorite records are my favorite records because I just listened to them all the time. And I figured, learned how to, like, tape them from 
the you know, how to tape like things and make mixtapes. And so I started oh, you yeah. know, doing a all little that piece kind of, of tape stuff. over the tape. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so I started doing all that kind of stuff, and and I just got I got way into it really young, and it all started because my dad had a very extensive record collection. So yeah. I think that's like one of the marks of. Most people that I think really love music found it at a really young age. Yeah, I think I think that is true. But I also I also in, in thinking about what you're saying about records and how it meant for me, um, I have two 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 daughters, right? So one's, oh, okay. one's eighteen and one's twenty one. Really? Oh, yeah. you're like grown. <laughs> yeah, they're grown. grown. Um, and it's been a really interesting thing in my lifetime, in my the the, the span of my life. Um, watching music change sure so like when i was really young we had eight tracks around the house we had record albums and you know very much like you said you're you're very attracted by the image on the record Mm -hmm. and you're like what is this what what's going to sound like you kind of imagine um what you're going to end up getting and then it's always kind of a big surprise because you never it's never what you think it's going to be right no and so um and i remember records being so crazy and then making them like when we start you know obviously had tapes and um, I was like, this is crazy. We can record, like, right off the radio. <laughs> like, I don't even yep. have to go to the store. You'd have to call the DJ and be like, hey, could you not talk over the beginning and end of this because I'm yeah. recording it? And they're like, uh-huh. And then they'd always just do- ruin it for you. <laughs> or you'd, like, call just to, like, have a specific song play so yep. that you yeah, knew yep. it was coming up in their show. Right. Well, then it's like, after that, I remember getting, C- like, when CDs came out. Sure. And just being like, this is amazing. Yeah, I can't imagine <laughs> it. You could skip tracks. Yeah, and it was like... You could just put it on this little CD and, you know, there were six uh, CD changers in cars. Mm-hmm. You're really like boss if you had one of those. Um, and then we started working with MP3s. And then it's like, mm. wow. And now today we're like, all your, your, all your music's on your phone. Yeah, you 24, Your whole collection. I stream all of it. Yeah. And it blows my mind the like just kind of watching the evolution of music. Yeah. The one thing that I think is really sad is that because I'm raising these two kids who also love music, we don't share music. Yeah. They're not going through my record collection. They're not sure. going through my CDs. They're not finding a tape in the car when they like are driving it and mm-hmm. just pop it in to be like, I got to listen to something besides the yep. radio. And um, it really makes it for a very, I think, a sad experience in some ways in that they won't, they won't have that same sense of curiosity that I did. Sure. Where you see this album and you're like, look at this butterfly that's multicolored. I'm yeah, going to listen yeah, to what yeah, this yeah. is. Because you, right. you don't know. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was a, it was the box of chocolates thing. Like you, so sometimes you just had no concept of what it was. Right. But if it's a, and the thing is, if it was a taper or, or a, a vinyl record, you had to like patiently go through the album to see if there was something you liked. You right. Know? It's not like a CD where it's like skip, 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 skip. Or now I, I, listened, uh, I listen to a lot of new music and I don't know what half of it is. Right, me neither. And I don't know half the artists. Yeah, well, I know the artists, but I just, I'm like, I have no idea what track I played. It's on a playlist right. somewhere. <laughs> I've played it on the radio. I have no idea what the name of the song is. I think the other thing that you end up missing um, with a lack of like, you know, Saturday afternoons, I would spend the whole day like at a record store. Yeah. And then oh. you have like, you're gathering around with other people who are looking at the same album and yeah. then you guys are like looking yeah, at each yeah, other yeah, and going, yeah. do you, did you get this album? And mm-hmm. just creating this sense of community um, that's in a physical space together. Yep. Um, I do, you know, my one kid, my oldest one is going to school for music production, but she um, does a lot of her stuff online. Mm-hmm. So they, they do have communities there, but I do think there's something really missing when you're not standing face to face eye to eye yeah feeling someone's like actual yeah. presence and energy and I, i've brought this up so many times and it's so get off my lawn in in its own sense of oh, like God. i <laughs> i feel this way about it but there was something so special about i would i would make a certain amount of money like you would save up a certain amount of money per week and i would go to the record store 
and then you bought you had to pick you only had 12 bucks or whatever it was or 15 bucks or however much they cost and you had to pick one there mm-hmm. had to be one and it can only be one because that's only the only money you had and there was something about like you buy that cd and you go home and like you peel the thing you had to Early days, you had to like, you know, crack the big plastic thing and then peel that terrible sticker off the top just to open the goddamn thing, and then you're pulling it open, and then you just kind of sit there with the with the liner notes and you just listen, and it's just it. There was something about that physical thing uh, that you just never you don't get with MP3s anymore. Yeah, and you would read it. Yeah, you would actually like read the single. if they had lyrics, you yep. knew every lyric based based on that. Um, you know the bass player on every <laughs> album you own. You know stuff like that because you just had to pay attention to it. Because what else were you doing? Right. I do. Um, I do remember that I used to work in a record store, so I was really lucky. My, oh, look at you! My fancy first, pants. yeah, my first two jobs right out at, during high school. So I went to school full time, and then I had two part time jobs. One was at a ninety nine cent movie theater. Uh-huh. Which is Did like, you grow up here? No, this is in a, a small town called Hopewell, Virginia. Oh, okay. And um, <laughs> no one, <laughs> right? No one, no one knows. No. Oh, you mean Hopewell, Virginia? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got that um, Walgreens. There's a so it's like 99 uh, cent movie theater, which mm-hmm. I think is a great job for any teenager. Totally. And then my second job was working in this record store, so um, it was called Record Town, and it was like one of the shops in the mm-hmm, mall where mm-hmm. you go and get CDs. Um, my assistant manager at the time was named Eric, and he was I thought the. Th- I just it was so crazy about him. He was like just a dreamboat. He, yeah, well, he was like older than me. Yeah, you know, he was older than me by like three years. Wow. <laughs> and, so um, he was wise and mature. He was wise and mature, and he was uh, balding early. So he had easy, kind of like easy. All right, pump the brakes. <laughs> he had like kind of curly hair on the sides mm-hmm. and the back, and then like a ponytail, like a skinny oh, yeah. curly ponytail. That's what I'm talking about. And um, his he I remember he was diabetic, and his mom used to make him homemade gummy bears. yes it was so wild he'd come in and he'd have like these these like sugar-free gummy bears yeah anyways he was a huge fan of um stevie ray vaughn and one day um he was he was at work and i was off and i was coming in um just on my day off because i just heard that stevie ray vaughn had died oh god yeah and he was like at the cash register you know like just like cashing out customers and uh i was like eric i've got news for you Mm -hmm. he's like what and i was like Steve Ray died. And yeah. Just everything went silent. And um, he, like, didn't even say anything, just left the register and went to the office. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I just That's took so over the sad. register. It was yeah. the saddest story. Leaving Alpine Valley Music Theater, of all places. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. That's what it yeah, was. I know. He, left, he left Alpine. So crazy. Yeah. You know, in a helicopter crash, just crashed into a hill. Yeah. I don't know why, I don't know why um, famous celebrities are in small planes or helicopters ever. Because they're easier and they're faster. I know, but they're always dying out. Right. And they're usually in the Midwest when it happens. Right. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, Otis Redding, Lake Monona, Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, Troy, Wisconsin. Alpine Patsy Valley. Klein, too, right? Patsy Klein. Uh, was it, wait a minute. They, uh, big, you know, all of them. Big Bopper, big Buddy Bopper. Holly. Wasn't that all like Kansas or somewhere around here? Yeah, I think I those are all Midwestern that. places, yeah. too. Yeah. It's always, it's always here. Just don't fly over here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to tell Or get you. a bigger plane. Get a bigger plane. <laughs> I mean, you're rich. You can do it. Fly commercial. But if you're rich, you're like, I want my own plane. Yeah. I don't want to fly commercial. I mean, sure. But could you get a bigger plane than maybe the ones that crash all the time? Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Just slightly bigger. Good. I love how we're making light of this so hard. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you're the coolest kid in America. Do you remember, and we're going to talk, I want to take this apart a little bit, but do you remember the first album you bought with your own money? The first album I bought with my own money? Gosh, I don't even know. Just it, it's uh, I for young when younger people are in here, I'm like, hey, digital counts. And they're like, oh, yeah, I remember I downloaded. And I was like, I hate you so much. Uh, but no, mine was a cassette of Motley Crue's Dr. Feelgood. Oh, that's great. So, you know, I, I too, am embarrassing. <laughs> Actually, I really love Motley Crue. Still? Yes. 
Wow. Well, I didn't love them then because I was listening to R&B. Oh. So yeah. I didn't discover Motley Crue until I was like somewhere in my like early 30s that oh, I like wow. like took the time to like pay attention and listen to it. And now I love I actually really love that album. Doctor Feel Good? Yes. I I could still probably sing the whole thing. Yeah. I haven't heard it in 25 years at oh, least. Oh, it's so it's so good. And I, and and maybe <laughs> there's like a nostalgia thing like it brings something back for me like not really being friends with anyone in high school sure. but like seeing all the dudes with the long hair sure. loving it, you know. Um, I don't know where my first tape was. I would imagine it was probably either like Run DMC mm-hmm. or it was maybe Tears for Fears. <laughs> too <laughs> we got big, a wide too spectrum big there. Difference. Yeah, we got a, we got a spectrum. Uh, that's that's so cool. So I mean, you are like the you've got the you're like the coolest kid in America. Um, you worked in a record shop. Yep. Uh, you started a roller derby consortium league. What is, what is the what is the term league? It's a league. A league. Uh-huh. I, I didn't know the term. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's a big deal. Yeah, it's a pretty big deal. Windy City Rollers. Yeah, the Windy City Rollers that's started a, that's back a, in two thousand four. Yeah, and they're still rolling. But um, Ching, I remember someone walking up to me. Um, at it was a server at the Note back when the Note was the Note. The Blue Note, yeah. The, uh, this was just after Blue Note when it was just the Note. Oh, right. So this was two thousand Milwaukee. This, yeah, on Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. This was now the Flatiron and whatever the hell it was. It was this was like two thousand four, two thousand five, mm-hmm. and I remember like somebody, whatever it was, one of the servers there. Um, some dude was giving her a hard time, and I was like, dude, why don't you get lost, whatever it was. Not in a white knight thing, just like, hey, get out of here. And then little alone, behold, she comes back, taps me on the shoulder like an hour later, and goes, hey, do you, you want to do a shot? And I was like, yeah, I, I could do a shot. She's like, uh, I just I do this roller derby thing in this Windy City, and like it just started, and like you should come check it out sometime. And I was like, yeah, okay. Val Capone. Uh, Val Capone. Yep, you're welcome. <laughs> and we worked one day together at, um, uh, we worked one day together at uh, Threadless. Oh, funny. Because my friend used to be the creative director for early visual director for Threadless, and like I worked for nothing an hour, like picking shirts off of racks and right. putting them in bags. Uh, and she worked one day too, and I was like, "Hey, I think I remember you from." She goes, "Yeah, I used to do that to people all the time." <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Damn it! Thought I was special. Uh, so, how did this whole thing start? Like, how do you start a roller derby league? Yeah, it's a great question. <laughs> You're mostly insane. Like you, you have you, to be. You have to be crazy. Um, well, it was. I never really exercised. I never like was somebody who was super athletic. I was like record sure. record store girl. Yeah, no, I you get know, it. drawing drawing sketches. Totally get it. And then um, I moved around the, the the country a little bit. And when um, I came to Chicago, I got married and had kids. And uh, my marriage was breaking up, and I, I was super unhappy. Mm-hmm. Um, before before you know, you're always in it too long, right? You're always in that relationship too long. So you, before, mean with your, you mean your marriage specifically? Yeah, oh, okay. specifically. Sure. I mean, like everybody, I think who breaks up, you're always like, "Why didn't I break up earlier?" Because yeah. then you break up and you're like, "This is great." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I talk. <laughs> about- <laughs> you know, oh, awesome! My life oh. is without that person. I talk about well. I always talk about poetry the way you talk about marriage. So keep going. <laughs> so, um, you know, I was I started to uh, I decided that I was going to start riding my bike to and from work. Mm-hmm. I just was like, "All right, this is what I'm going to do to like stop Here's crying." Here's really real. Yeah. <laughs> And um, eventually got into uh, riding bikes, and then I ended up uh, running a little bit. And then at some point, a friend of mine, you know, she and I were doing it together. And then she was like, you know, we should go to Texas and ride because mm-hmm. uh, Lance Armstrong trains there. And I was like, we're not that kind of. How'd it work out riders. for him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, heard much. for the most part, it worked out good. <laughs> I, mean, I think in most of his life, he's pretty happy. With, um, yeah, up to a certain point. Yeah, yeah. He, was, <laughs> like, he was killing it for yeah, a minute there. I was like, I don't know. Maybe maybe he'd made some mistakes, but definitely he had a good time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's not working at a laundromat. Like, That's I'm, correct. I'm sure he's fine. He's not pulling shirts at Threadless. Right. So, uh, <laughs> oh, that hurt. Ow. <laughs> Woo, that callback stung a little. So then he uh, he or we were in Texas and uh, we meet this woman at the Continental Club and I I always tell this story and I don't even Continental on on Congress yeah it's such a great club I used to go see uh, Gary Clark Jr. play there for like twelve people on Tuesday nights at midnight. Strangely enough. I don't know who Gary Clark is. Gary Clark Jr., he sells out. Now he's a big deal. Does oh, man. Now he's touring with the Blackies. I'm sorry. Go on. No, I was just, I love, I love that, that it's place. My, it's one so of my favorite cool. clubs in the country. Yeah. So we were there, and um, I always tell this story because I'm not really sure if it's true or not, this way this woman looks. It's just kind of what I imagine it to be anymore. Is, you know, she's just like waitress, and she's wearing like a gingham shirt, and it's tied up, and she's got a low like denim skirt mm-hmm. on, and a, a cowgirl hat, and she's holding her tray. And my friend Kelly says to her, What's that on your hip? Is that what kind of tattoo is that? And this woman like levels at our eyes, like just like like how dare you? And then she goes, "That's not a tattoo. It is a derby burn." <laughs> Flips around, <laughs> walks away. How <laughs> dare you? Right? How dare you? Like you dumb ladies. And um, I lost it. I lost it. I, I you know at the time, like I said, I was like in such a dark place and. I didn't feel very strong as a person. Mm-hmm. And I remember just being like, whatever that kind of energy and that kind of confidence yeah. and that kind of bite she has, I was like, that is that that twenty second interaction was everything I ever wanted to be. And it was just You like, wanted to be that badass. I wanted to be that badass. And so when I came to Chicago, back to Chicago, I looked up the roller derby and the Texas roller girls at the time were um they were they had a documentary out. And it's all these chicks skating super fast, wearing fishnets, mm-hmm. you know, punching each other, fighting. They had stage fights at the time. You know, that's, we've kind of grown out of that. But at the time, it was like a big deal. Oh, they had like staged fights. Yeah. We did it like old like, school. Like pro wrestling style. Yeah. Yes. Oh, super old it. school. Yeah. And um, I was, I tried to find a league in Chicago and people, when I talked to all the gals that were outside of Chicago, there was only probably about six, six leagues happening at mm-hmm. that point. Including us, six, and you mean six leagues like happening nationally or just yeah in, in the Ch- whole country. Oh, okay, okay. And um, I th- there's uh, Madison was just about to start theirs, and so um, one of the Texas Roller Girls writes me and she's like, "Madison's starting. You should go meet this girl." And I was like, "Well, I'd rather join a league. I don't know how to start a league." And she's like, "Well, none of us did." And I was like, "Okay, fair enough." There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that gave me the permission to just kind of try to figure it out and um. I think it's one of the most epic things I've ever done, even though I don't feel it. There's, like, no monetary kind of, like, um, feedback. There's not been – but, like, it's 15 years later. They're still skating, and there's probably, like, 1,600 leagues in the country. I mean, sorry, in the world. Like, girls that started with me are literally being hired to go to, like, the Netherlands and train other skaters. It is so cool. And then, you know, it's, again, 15 years in, and I'm walking down the street, and people are like – were you the girl who started this roller derby league? Oh, I saw the derby. And like, anytime I talk to anybody, they're like, I know someone in the roller derby. And I'm like, yeah, we're like rats. We're like, <laughs> nowadays we're everywhere. Yeah. But back then it was super like um, fight club style. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. I remember the first time I saw roller derby, it was on ESPN. Um, I used to watch <laughs> in the summer uh, at like three o'clock on ESPN. There was like real low budget professional wrestling on because mm-hmm. it was like during the, before they did 24 hour 
constant rolling Kobe Bryant coverage and all that kind of stuff. They just played during the day. ESPN just played crap, like whatever crap was cheap. <laughs> right. You know, it's like the darts of league or whatever, like whatever kind of nonsense. Now they have cornhole. Yeah, right. <laughs> Get into that. Um, the uh, so I remember like uh, I turned it on. I got got there a little early. I remember exactly sitting in my on my parents' bed in the middle of the summer. Uh, babysitter was downstairs. I was on my parents' bed. I turned on trying to watch wrestling but I'm like 15 minutes early and I'm watching roller derby and yeah. it's like these women with these punk rock names skating around elbowing each other and I was like what is this and I'm trying to figure it out because it looked like like gorgeous ladies of wrestling to yes. me so I thought it was glow Correct. it wasn't glow I was like is this glow on skates I'm like eight you know and I'm like, it's yeah. not glow it's it's roller derby and I couldn't figure out how it worked. I right. couldn't figure out the scoring, but then there was like a stage, you know, a shoot fight in the middle of it. And I was like, oh my God, they're fighting. This is like pro wrestling <laughs> and it's women. And I'll never, and then of course, like it went off the air next week because they, you know, whatever it was. But I just remember being really uh, struck by it and never forgot it and then never saw anything about it again for like 20 years. And that's when roller derby started popping up around yeah. the country and stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember seeing this, but I've still never seen it live. Oh, really? Never seen it live. I've always wanted to go. I've just never done it. Yeah. I mean, the I think the best season was um, the most F season. Like, it was, like, um, at the Congress Theater. Do you remember the Congress Theater? Oh, I know about the Congress. Oh, yeah. Like, super – I mean, talk about punk rock. Mm-hmm. It was, like, the trashiest place. Scum. Just absolute <laughs> scum. And you go out there, and it still looks like that from the outside. Yes. But yeah. the inside's better. But um, we would have to, before our games – well, first, our track ended up being really short. And um, it's an is it an elevated track? Like no, it's, you it's don't have the a, banks on the outside. Oh, okay. Yeah, because with a bank track, you have to store it somewhere. No, I get that. Yeah. I, was, I was just curious. So that's why we didn't go bank track. But um, we would go there the, the night before. You know, there would be some kind of crazy concert. So the next day, because we're skating, we had to like actually kind of scrape off scrape the gum, gum. Yeah. off the ground, and then like pull out nails. Yep. And then set these things up. And then once we set up our our, our track. Um, we would also cushion, like put cushions on the first like three to four rows mm. because girls were like fly of out course, right. of the ring and into these and into these like chairs. So we try to make it as comfortable as possible. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. So how did you learn? How did you learn how to do it? Like how did you learn how to first of all skate and like understand the rules and like build that league? Like where did that start? Well, I think I was skating like when I was a kid. I mean, back in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, every, everyone yeah. loves skating. Let's put on color me bad yeah. and skate around. Couple <laughs> skate. We're seven. Yeah, yep, I feel it. Um, but then when uh, when we started again, I I wasn't really sure what we were going to do. You know, I talked to Madison. I talked to some of the girls from Texas. They gave us some drills. Um, sometimes the drills translated, and I understood mm-hmm. them. And sometimes I was like, I don't know what this is. Then we met a couple of people who were skate coaches. And um, one chick was, uh, she used to do roller derby in the 80s, so she came in to, to work with us a little bit. But sure. She, and then another guy who was known as the Chicago Ace, he was like a big old school roller derby uh, referee. Hmm. And so he hooked us up with some of our old school roller derby things. Um, one of my favorite stories is that uh, at one point, Mark had, Mark Chicago Ace, uh, had, had invited us to the 70th year roller anniversary of roller derby because mm-hmm. roller derby actually started in 1935 in chicago really? it's where it started with yeah leo seltzer wow so cool um and we ended up actually like became we became with resurgence of it we became um really good friends with leo seltzer's son jerry okay and so um anyway so we were at the 70th anniversary and um it was really great there was this guy um i think his name's leo scoble but he was like a blind in one eye 
a roller derby skater from the 30s and 40s. And then there was a woman named Ivy King, who's who we named our um, trophy after. Mm. And Ivy King was, when I think she was like 1936, 1935. She was 16 years old. She runs away. She's lived in the suburbs of Chicago, runs away from home because she's heard about this roller derby thing. And she's like, I'm a really good skater. I'm going to go do this. Sure. Hops on a train, becomes this famous roller derby skater. Huh. And um, she came, so she's at this thing, and I'm sitting with her at her table, and she has this little um, heart pendant, you know, and there's all these old men kind of like sulking around, you know, eating their meatloaf, like, you know, (laughs) it's it's a dinner. Yeah. And um, Ivy's like, Elizabeth, well, she called me Juana, because my name's Juana Rumble, is my derby name. That's a great derby name. (laughs) Thanks. That really is. (laughs) And she's like, Juana, come here, come here. And I was like, what's up, Ivy? And she's like, all these men are jealous of me. And I was like, what? What? Of course they are. She's like, no, no. They're really jealous of me. And I was like, well, why? And she goes, I have a hard on. <laughs> and, wow. And I was like, that is the embodiment of a I love it. bad broad. <laughs> I love it. And I love how many, how like uh, uh, this kind of like reclamation of badass identity that you see in a lot of younger women now. Um, like people that get into burlesque and people that get into roller derby yeah. and stuff like it's I feel like it's 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 obviously they're different art forms, but they come from like I feel like a lot the friends that I have that do both or have done one or the other like there's this kind of sense of like sticking it to the man that I dig and I hate to say that term here, but yeah. like that's kind of what it's about right yeah no, I think that's true. I see a lot of chicks leave uh, derby and go into burlesque sure. actually um once we're once we're kind of like done and retired um I see it all the time, and I'm not actually. Do you know uh, Danny Diesel? Um, do you know American Pickers, that TV show? Yeah. The chick, the chick who's tattooed? Yeah. So Danny, um, I knew her way before that. Right? Oh, okay. So one of the things that she, I mean, she's a great example of this, is uh, I met her. She lived next door to me, actually. And um, we became friends. And then she left Chicago. And when mm. she left Chicago, um, she had no tattoos at that point. Or, or if she did, they, were, you couldn't, they weren't visible. Mm. Um and she went to, to when she went back to Iowa. She started a roller derby league there. Yeah. But then she got into burlesque, and so she was doing like derby and burlesque. And then eventually, I think she just ended up just doing burlesque. And now sure. she's like a super famous burlesque dancer. Mm. Um, actually, I know more about her her dance. I've seen her butt so many times. Sure. Yeah. I've seen her butt. I've seen the butt so of many, many of my friends. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, she she's a great and incredible uh, burlesque dancer now and travels all over the place. I, I know more about her burlesque uh, career than I do actually her American Pickers So career. did you do burlesque? I never did So that. you just jumped burlesque, you went straight to storytelling? Um, yes, pretty <laughs> much. Yeah. You know what? I always wanted to do burlesque in a way, but then a lot of times, the thing with burlesque to me is that it's either great or it's very boring to watch. Yeah. There's like not really much in between. Yeah. And I think in the world of storytelling, you do get like bits of pieces where you're like, oh, oh, they're going to get somewhere like, you Mm -hmm. know, so, you know, most stories you're like, they're good. That's how we communicate. That's how we talk. Sure. But with some burlesque, when it's really bad, you're like, they're just walking across stage. Yeah. You get (laughs) some people where you go like, there's some, I mean, and I know a number of like really good burlesque dancers. Very, very good. Um you know, in, uh, entertaining, classically trained dancers, great costumes, really know how to work the room. Like, are just terrific at it. And then yeah, you see some fun people, faces. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, just really do it well. And then you get some people, some women that are just kind of like, well, 
I'm brave for being up here. And it's like, well, yes, you are. <laughs> but also, we paid to see this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, entertain me. Yeah. yeah. No, and I, I, I think it, the art form's amazing. I love, I love watching, like, women mm-hmm. do that. And I, I, I just couldn't. I was like, I'm going to be one of those mediocre burlesque dancers. Yeah, sure. I get <laughs> like, that. Like, I was like, I just don't have enough, like self-esteem to be like here are my tits (laughs) yeah i don't have the kind of self-esteem to do that either yeah Uh, i there was a moment in time where i was like you know maybe i'll do it once like maybe i'll just do it once because this was around when this is when annoyance does a show called uh i can't even remember but anyway annoyance does this the show where these uh primarily women who improvise at the annoyance do a burlesque show um burlesque is more is what it's called because it always it. has to be, there always has to be a pun. Name. There has to be a pun. So burlesque is more as a show. And I remember at the time, it was like all these really funny women who were like, we're going to do a burlesque show. And I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. Like all these people that you hang out with and do scenes with are now doing a different art form. And it was, it was a really a blast. And they were like, well, we want to get more men that want to do it. I went, yeah, I could maybe do that. And I was kind of dating this burlesque dancer and all this other kind of stuff. And I thought about it for a minute. And there was a brief second of my life where I went, I'm, I'll, I'll, I could do this song and then I can kind of do it. And I don't know why I thought this was a good idea. But I almost did it once, and now there's not a chance I will ever do it again. Really? Maybe. I mean, I think what people would say to us in the world, the world of burlesque, they would say that this is exactly the reason you and I should do burlesque. Of course, of course, right? right? Like, because we're both like, ooh. <laughs> like, I, I know, and I know a lot of people who are like, uh, you, their words, uh, Instagram hoes now, that yeah. are just like, yeah, I really enjoy getting artful, beautiful photos taken of my nearly naked body and putting it on the internet. Yeah, for sure. And I've seen a lot of them, you know. Mm-hmm. I, um, I actually live not too far from Vodzilla, sure. which is a burlesque. Like, yeah, a I've very seen popular, a bunch of their yeah, shows. They're, they're super popular. Um, yeah, I think that that's, that's a great art form. I just, I don't know. I have a hard time imagining that I could take myself seriously. Yeah. But maybe that's, I mean, there's something I could use. Do you, uh, yeah, maybe. To, to be like a jokey burlesque dancer. But that kind of like, doesn't that ruin it a little bit for you? Like if you're not taking it, like it, I kind of want to take it. Like if I want to do it, I want to take it seriously. Yeah, I don't want to be like, look I, how gross I am. Isn't it funny? Right. <laughs> I, got I definitely want to be. I want to be definitely like the best at whatever I'm doing. Of course, like yeah. you want people to look at it. Like you want to be the best. Yes. Are you like that when you perform? Like you you rate yourself against everybody that was on the mic that night or whatever? No, you're I never do that. I never do that. But I do rate myself against how I've done in the past. Sure. Which is the healthy way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I think that everyone's so different, you know. Um, everyone has different personalities and everyone has a different presence. And I love watching um, how, how uh, what the variety of people can be. I just watched Nestor Gomez. You know Nestor of course, Gomez, right? Yeah. Everyone knows Why him. have I not had Nestor on this show? I don't know. Nestor, I'm sure come on Nestor the show. I'm sure Nestor would do it. Yeah, Nestor. I'm just going <laughs> to – I could just text him right now. Anyway, I know. Go on. Yeah. So um, we just did a show on Friday together. And uh, I've seen Nestor a million times. You know, um, uh-huh. everybody has because sure. he's everywhere. Yeah. Um, and he was doing this story. It was like a real simple story about like him and his like how he doesn't like dogs, but now of course he has a dog. Right. And, um, but I remember watching him and just being like, "You are so good. <laughs> you are yeah. so good at what you're doing." Like I could tell that he was having fun. I could tell that the audience really, yeah. really like loved him. And then his story was so incredibly cute. Mm-hmm. So it was like well crafted. It fit in the right time period. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, I. I hate you so much right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's real. Yeah. That's real. You're like, I'm so in awe, and I wish you would die in front of me. Right. Leave me yes. alone. Yeah. <laughs> Stop coming on stage with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a storytelling show on Thursday. I'm doing Story Club on Thursday, and I don't do a lot of those anymore. I used oh, yeah. to do them. I used to do all of them all the time. I did like one a week or something like that. And now I don't. I do maybe one a year. So yeah. it feels kind of strange. Why is that? Why did you stop? 
Uh, I, I had a big, we talked about it off mic a little bit, but I had a big falling out with, uh, the world and the stage and, um, I felt very unsafe everywhere. Yeah. Um, I felt unsafe walking out of the house and I felt very unsafe on stage. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it was just really bad. So it was, it was rough. So I just kind of stopped pursuing anything. Because I used to just do every show and people would see me. And of course, like you do a show and then you get another show. Yeah, we were on a show together. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think at Funny Haha. Uh, oh, that Christmas one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I'm, ba- I'm back at Funny Haha on March 13th. March 13th. Funny Haha at the hideout still? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fighting the Lincoln Yards <laughs> with, with great ferocity. Yes. One of the great venues in Chicago and Lincoln Yards can eat my whole ass. Go That's on. That's correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, I do think that that's a weird thing about Chicago storytelling. I do have a, a strong, um, like I I, I I don't know what it is that people in the Chicago storytelling scene can like feels is so important that or like that they're so important hmm. that a lot of like weird dramas happen. But yeah. I, I think that might happen in any scene, right? It, like, it, it does, yeah. Music, I also, poetry. I used comedy. to do stand up, and yep. there's always this drama in stand up. Yep. I mean, you know. Um, I think the key is to like not take it so seriously. I love doing it. It's mm-hmm. really important to me. It's it's taught me that I could be on stage. When I first did my very first storytelling class, um, there was like a handful of people. I cried through the whole thing. I was so miserable. <laughs> um, and now you can be like, Elizabeth, we need like a 20-minute story right now. And yep. I can, I'd be like, fine, I'm but on Whatever, it, I'll do know? an hour. I don't <laughs> care. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that that kind of uh, – I just, I just think there's so much room for us. There's so much sure. room for every. There's performer. so much room for everybody. Yeah, and so I don't know why people get their their panties in a knot. It's sometimes a little, it's competitive, and people want to elbow themselves out. And then there's always uh, people that feel they can benefit from rising to the top of things. And I've been at the top of a scene before, like the person but, with most of the control, and it it's more it sucks more than it's good. But what is the live lit top? Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. That's that's the whole thing for me. It's like I want to do it because it's fun, right? And because I get to be with people that right. I really like, and I'm inspired to write, and I want to write more. Yeah. You know, sometimes I think that helps your writing process is to see how mm-hmm. people react to it. Because when you write something and send it off to the world, you never get to see how people respond. Yep. Right. So when you're doing it in a storytelling situation, you get to see that you get to like really connect with the audience. But the top of, I mean, people are always like, "Why don't you do the moth?" I'm like. I don't do the moth because I don't have time to sit around in a room for seven hours <laughs> in hopes that maybe someone will see me sure. and then send me off to a contest in New York in which they take my story and I never get paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> like, Where they all make millions of dollars and you make nothing. You make yeah. nothing mm-hmm. as the artist. So yeah, but like, you got great exposure <laughs> for, for your storytelling career. Correct. And there are some people who make a living in storytelling. Sure. And those people generally don't get involved in too much drama unless people come after them. Same thing like poetry. Like there were, I, I was making a living in poetry. That's what I did for right. a long time. And because of that, uh, there was some stuff that happened and I had to protect certain things. But like it's, it's really most people, they just – when you take something so seriously and you take yourself very seriously – um, everything I think gets it's it's a crucible of sorts. Like everything gets kind of amplified and just scorched out. And Chicago storytelling uh, community, we talked about this a couple weeks ago on the show. But like the the bubble burst at some point, right? You know, Chicago poetry, the bubble burst at some point. Like, and it's just things things the bubble bursts and then it kind of regrows. And it's just like anything. So I don't know. Yeah, and I think like I just I think that we do better when we're supporting each other. I mean, sure. that's that's all. I sure. The harder we push each other, the better. You know, and I I do try to keep. Um, my storytelling friends, probably like the close ones to me, are the yeah. ones that I know that are never going to like do anything but tell me how to make it better. Of course, yeah. You know? I don't want yes people around me. Yeah, I'm tired of that. And I want to be around people who like when I'm listening to them. Like I was saying about Nestor, I was like listening to him, and I was like, I saw Nestor four years ago. Mm-hmm. 
Today, he is a different storyteller. Yes, absolutely. And, he, you know, four years ago, I thought he was good, too. But, like, when I saw him on Friday, I was like, he is a new, like, new level great. Yeah. You know? And um, I'll, I'll, to, to get that practiced and to be to see that kind of growth in your own work mm-hmm. is, I think, deeply satisfying. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Nestor, like, did my show six years ago, you know, and, and was good then. Yeah. And I'm sure, like, just keeps getting better all the time. So... Shout out to Nestor Gomez. Uh, <laughs> Yay, Nestor! <laughs> uh, good for you, bud. Um, but no, I, it's absolutely. Like, people just keep keep rising to the top, and people that are able to stay away from the drama generally come out better on the other side. Um, I can say, you know, for improv, if you've ever been in the improv community, they're they're super supportive in the worst way possible. Where it's just like, you're amazing. You're so good. Yeah, I know. I'm good, too. Or am I also good? Are we all good? Can we all be friends? Is anybody looking at me? When are the auditions? When are auditions? <laughs> That's exactly why I hate watching improv. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's performative alleyship yeah. all the time. And yeah. you watch you watch the performance. And they're clearly having fun. And you're, like, not sure. part of it. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're like, I don't understand anything in this scene. But they all yeah. have these inside jokes. And yeah. they're like... Just and they've worked together, so they're sure. having they're having the best time. We're you're all just, best friends, right? <laughs> we are best friends. Ask us, we are best friends. If any of us gets a deal, we're all going to help each other, right? We're all going to give each other jobs. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of that going on. Um, the thing is, like, great improv can blow your mind and just be like, "This is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life." But that's so rare. It's such a small sliver. It's a very small sliver of the pie. Yeah. That's Um, true about stand-up. That's true about burlesque. That's true, you know. You know what? And I talk (laughs) – I used to have this conversation with the press every week. uh, With the press. Like in print because people would always ask like, who cares about poetry? And you have to do this like – Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, most people, their first exposure to poetry is like they saw it at a college union reading their girlfriend dragged them to, and they think poetry sucks forever. Or they had to read Robert Frost in high school, and Robert Frost is fucking boring, so they just, you know, <laughs> and that's it. So, yeah, of course, 90% of all art forms sucks. 90% of all music sucks. 90% of the movies you've seen probably suck. You right. know, But there is that, that small sliver. The problem is most of the time when you're going to support your friend who invited you on Facebook, they're part of the 90% that sucks. And then, you know, you're just like, man, okay. I mean, please don't ever ask me to go see someone's band. Oh. <laughs> I had a girlfriend <laughs> early in the roller derby days. One of my girlfriends started, uh, see, who's now her husband, but she started seeing this guy and she was like, well, he's in a band. And I was just like, oh, I, I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> there are good bands, obviously. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I think there's always, always, uh, you know, people are learning. You can't yeah. get good unless you like put yourself out there. And practice again and again. And, you know, as long as I think you're seeing the growth and you're feeling mm-hmm. satisfied, who cares? Yeah. But you got to measure you against you. Yeah. That's the important part. Just don't take me to see your friend's band. Yep. <laughs> and yes, I'll go see you do burlesque. But that's only out of curiosity. <laughs> right. I was having that conversation the other day. I'm like, if anybody walks up to me, he's like, hey, do you want to see someone naked ever? I'm like, yeah, great. Who is it? Everybody? I'll see everybody. I don't really like no. I'm I do, weird I like do that. a naked I'm a t- a storytelling show. You do it. Wait a minute. Which one? It's called we call it. It's called Bury It All. You do a naked storytelling show? <laughs> With a naked audience. All right, let's, okay. <laughs> this just became interesting. And not that it wasn't already, because it was. Uh, I was very intrigued. And now we've gone another level. Because I was going to ask you, uh, specifically with burlesque, like, is there, are you grossed out by your own body to the point where you're like, I don't even want to subject somebody. Because that's how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's ultimately why I never did it. Um, but, so, like, you're, you how, 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 how did how? it start? I know, I'm terrible, I'm so yeah. gobs- gobsmacked right now. I mean, this is super crazy, because we haven't had a lot of shows, um, we, we have had, like, two kind of big productions, yeah. and then we've had a few, what we call, undressed rehearsals. I, you're doing a great job, <laughs> we're all very proud of you. 
<laughs> um, but uh, in, the, I, in the comedy scene, I had met a um, comedian. Uh, he's a gay comedian. He's fun and hilarious. And one day, his name was um, Adam. Okay. You and so, um, yeah, I know he's not, he's not quite because we could kind of keep it on the down low so that you know people might not want people to know. Oh, that so the, the, the naked storytelling show is not like a public thing; it's a private thing. No, it is a public thing. Like people can get like sign up onto our mailing list, mm-hmm. and then they can be invited to a show. Right. But um, people don't necessarily want to tell people that they're like doing naked stories, you know, necessarily. So right. when okay. we have a show, you just have to trust us on who's the line, who's on the lineup. Got okay, that's all right. Gotcha. Yeah, we so won't. We don't. You don't. You don't release the lineup. We don't release the lineup. Okay, got it. Um, so uh, he he was like, I have this idea that you know I want to do this like naked storytelling show, um, and it's going to be like the storytellers are naked and the audience is naked and it's all about like vulnerability. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god. Fine, I'm in. <laughs> I was like, let's just do it. So you've done it. Well, yeah. I mean, I've done. We've, you know, it's it's, it's my show uh, with no, no, producers. I mean, no, yeah. No, I mean, so you, you. That was not what I meant to say. So you did the first one. Yes, the very yeah, first one. Right. So um, I have to. Sh- I I, my, I got the like the in- information. It was like show up at the Evanston Meditation Center. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I was like, not exactly where I thought we would end up, but right, fine, I'll right, go right. there. And um, I come in, you know, and Adam's doing the door check, and I walk into this room, and it's all these naked men. And I'm like, this doesn't seem like a good idea. And, it, and moments before, I was sitting in my car, like in front of the, the, the center, and also being like, naked. no, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fully clothed. But I was, just, I was just sitting there in the car going, like, there is just no way. What am I? I'm like, again, I'm a 45 year old mom, you know? Yeah. Like, why do I need to get naked? What is her, like? What am I? What's my motivation here? Like, why am I doing this? What if I walk in and it's like the worst thing ever? Mm-hmm. You know, and I just kept thinking about like all these scenarios, which could be like dangerous and it's like scary. You know, um, I had told Adrian about it, and she's like, "I have lots of questions." Yeah, <laughs> and I didn't even ask any of them. I was just like, "I'm gonna do it." Yeah, so you and, did it. Yeah, so then I walk into the room, and it's all these men who are naked, and um, Adam's like, "Well." You go into this room and you can just take off all your clothes and put in this bag, you know, put your clothes on this bag. And I'm like, okay. And I was hoping to see women the whole night. I was the only woman. It was just gay men. It was all, yeah, mostly gay men. There sure. might have been a straight, a straight dude. I don't know. <laughs> there but, might have been one. We, right. we weren't giving out questionnaires. <laughs> but um, we were, uh, I, I like took off my clothes. And the moment I took off my clothes, the most amazing thing happened. 20 seconds later, it was like, you were just naked. I was just naked. Yeah. With a bunch of naked people. And we were just talking and drinking wine. And then we told stories. And um, it was. Yeah. And afterwards, we, we socialized. <laughs> Still naked? Yes. God bless you. We all just like stood around and um, ate cheese and, uh, <laughs> and socialized. Of yeah. 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 And, that's, um, so weird. that's so ridiculous. Yeah. And some of the dudes, there were a couple of guys there who was like, I have never seen an in real life naked woman yeah but i've always lived with a naked woman which is myself right yeah, sure, so like yeah. i've never even thought that someone would never see that like it's mm-hmm. hard for me to imagine yeah um so we, i mean it, it got really comfortable and we just started talking about our bodies and like kind of what brought us into this like space and um people were super open and it was like one of the best audiences i've ever been in front of that's cool. Yeah. That's a really cool story. Yeah. Are you still doing the show? Yeah, we just had one on uh, February 21st. So how frequently do you plan on doing it? Or what, we, how frequently would you like to do it? We'd like to do it every quarter. That's, okay. That's the, the ideal goal. Um, and then, you know, we're willing to do ones where, like, if people want to host one inside their yeah. house. Yeah. You know? 
Because sometimes the storytellers, they've never done anything like that. Of course. So it kind of gives them an idea where they're not panicking in front of a, like a big paid audience. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I get that. Um, do, are the stories most are, uh, do the stories kind of naturally gravitate toward identity and body and things of that nature? Or is it just like, here's the story of this time I was in college and I'm just naked while I'm telling it? <laughs> yeah, well, the, the idea is that there's some vulnerabil- like sure. vulnerability to it. So um, my first story that I told that time was actually I have a story – and I love this moment because um, I have this story. It's 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 about my own Brazilian wax. I gave myself my own Brazilian wax, like in the in like depths of despair after I left my ex husband. <laughs> Is this an on air kind of story? Yeah, well, yeah. I can could tell you, you tell this, me on? I can tell you. Yeah, I can give you the, the, give me the, the give highlights. Me, give me the hi- give me the Reader's Digest version of the story. So. I'm living in the basement of my ex-husband's condo. Oh God! Yeah, because like when I was married, he didn't work, and then when I like decided that I was going to leave, I didn't have anywhere to go. I don't sure, have any yeah. family here. I had these two little toddlers. You know, they're three and six at the time, or two and actually probably two and five. Um, but these little girls that I loved and adored, and then I was super depressed and dark, and yeah. in this basement of this department, of this God. apartment. So I'm like, well, what does my life look like after this? Like, you know, just trying to keep myself. And I was like, well, maybe one day I'll date, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, by date, I mean, like, maybe I'll sleep around a lot because I love sleeping around. So yeah, who doesn't, you know, <laughs> in a vacuum? It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So then um, I'm sorry I keep coughing. But <laughs> yes, you should apologize. Frankly. <laughs> um, so I decide that I'm going to go to like Walgreens. And I'm going to tell you this, like, though. The way that you know that you have made a grave mistake is when you're like unwrapping your Brazilian wax kit out of a Walgreens bag. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so, I love you so much. I'm like undoing, so I undo this like top for this um, green wax. And I don't know if you remember this wax, it was super popular and like um, as on seen on TV kind of product. What was the name of it? NADS. Oh, I know about NADS. <laughs> so I remember being like, NADS? Wait a minute, NADS? Yes, correct. Like, it's, a, it's an Australian wax job thing thing. And I was like, wait a minute. Okay, we got two different. It was the Australian one, right? Yeah. I'm not crazy? All right, good. Yeah. So then I put it in the microwave. That's another yeah, thing. I remember like, that. And there was a stick. Yeah, yes. I remember seeing the commercial. Also, like, why are you putting this hot wax in the microwave from Walgreens? Like, everything's yo, all weird. Yo. So no one was at the house. And then I go downstairs and I, like, start spreading all the, you know, the stuff. Mm-hmm. And the first time that I have to like remove the strip of wax you know I take in like super deep breath yep you know and I pull it off and I screamed like a banshee I mean I don't know (laughs) I don't know how people do it uh I I definitely didn't need to do it but then you know your skin is like red like super super red of course yeah and then it starts to like cool out a little bit and then blood comes (laughs) If it takes your skin with it, yeah. Yeah. Well, even if, like from your hair, just pulling your hair, sure. just like in your pores. Yeah. So then, um, now I'm in it, right? You, yeah. You can't start and not finish. <laughs> That's right? correct. Yeah. So then I'm like taking it off and taking it off, and then at one point, um, I start to do my my basically my butt, and so because like the whole thing about Brazilian wax is like everything gets cleaned out uh, inside yeah. and out, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so, I'm with then, you. so then I like kind of take a deep breath. I like stand in mountain pose. I double over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to picture the application of said wax. Oh yeah, you're just like sticking it in your yep. rear. No, I, I mean I get that part, but just like the just the visual of like how do I get the angle right? You know, like, right? Yeah. Well, that's why you have to go into mat, like a nice fold, like a yoga fold. Oh, okay. You can see I, I didn't understand. Oh, yeah. I didn't understand what that was. Okay, yeah. good. So then um, I'm trying to like yank this off, and I cannot get it out of my butt. Like, yeah. yeah, there's like <laughs> wax that's stuck in my butt crack. 
I'm like yanking and yanking. Yeah. And then at some point I like lay on my back, I take my legs and I put them over my head. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, you know, and I'm sweating because I'm kind of chubby. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like starting to cry because I'm like, I can't ask for anybody for help. Yeah. Right? Like, but this is my whole life. This is, this is everything I've ever done. Like I just jump into something thinking it's going to be a great idea. Yeah, right. And the next thing I know, I never read the instructions. You and know, you're in I full never... spiral at this right. point. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, how am I supposed to raise these mm-hmm. kids? Like, how am I supposed to be a single mom if I can't even like make a decision to not wax my own vagina? Yeah. <laughs> like, I get it. Yeah. I'm a professional. So uh, God bless you. Yeah. So like I'm crying and thinking about like I can't ask my ex-husband because I don't want him to touch me. Yeah, I get you know, that. Yeah. I can't obviously ask my kids for help. I have no one to call. <laughs> <Can't ask. laughs> oh, and so God. like now I'm full crying and like my butt's open to God and like, you know, I, in, my, in my story, I always say that um, it was just like this moment where I was just like so frustrated. It was like I had blinders on mm-hmm. and it was quite literally blinders because those were my knees <laughs> being on the sides of my head and so i just start pulling like just pulling it like strip by strip and i'm bleeding and it's just awful you know but at the end of the day i think my biggest takeaway from that experience was like you have to make better decisions elizabeth mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you have to make better decisions all right in the, in the spirit of vulnerability can i tell you a story real quick yeah all right so i uh so i'm a i'm a i'm a uh, a very hirsute guy i'm very hairy i just am i at 17 it was like congratulations you're now both nearsighted and part wookie like that's just <laughs> how it was uh i could like i was you know the only kid in school that had like a full beard you know things like that yeah so uh <laughs> so i'm just sixth grade yeah, right? yeah no it was like it was okay it was just like i had like that horrible mustache and then one day it was like uh i just didn't have a beard and then just did have a beard like i didn't have chest hair then i had all the chest hair yeah. overnight um it's really weird uh so i i you know having back hair having all that kind of stuff is just really considered it, get, it got in my head earlier it's like oh that's so gross and there are a lot of people who just don't care right, right. but then there was so I, you know you watch you read tabloids you just watch tv you watch e entertainment whatever it was whatever was popular back in the day around when i was in high school and it was just like oh okay so i'm gross forever and i will just this is just the cross i've got to deal with right <laughs> so over time like you know and i so i used to like i used to get my back waxed on a regular basis and that is you get used to it it's not, it doesn't hurt that bad you get used to it um but like that is an expensive and ridiculous process to upkeep that's correct you know? so like that just keeps going in and i'm like who cares no one's gonna see my back anyway and then you start doing it and then i've got like a i have a i have a utility thing with which i can shave the my own back it's what i'm not kidding it's called the Backblade blade <laughs> 2.0 um <laughs> But I used to spend like 45 minutes every other week or whatever it was with a hand mirror and like uh, a corded wall set of clippers that you would see at the bar, like just trying to reach all the spots. And like it's the amount of the thing is the thing. Right. So I uh, also like to keep my um, my my nether regions uh, well, well maintained, you know, for just it's just common courtesy. I think anybody that's going to interact with it should not have to, you know. Uh, should not have to part things to get right, there. Right, they don't need right? a machete. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, you know, I do that, but then sometimes, you know, I, I, sometimes you make a mistake. Yes. <laughs> and then you're like, well, now we have a bald spot. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's deal with this. And you're like, well, maybe I could just, maybe I could just trim it all up. And then I, and then at some point, I, the, okay, let's just get into this. So the other day, I'm like, maybe I'll, maybe I'll take a razor to myself for the first time ever. Okay. 
like my undercarriage in my business. Yeah, don't picture it, but do it, but do, but do picture it because that's what we're here for. Um, yeah, and I'm like working it, and then I, you kind of get to this place. I get to this place because I'm hairy everywhere, where it now looks like uh, aliens have landed on the <laughs> underside of my junk and just like you know left a crop circle and then flown away. So, but and where's the line? Like, how far do you go? I, I just keep going and going and going, and now I'm like all the way, and I'm like, oh, how? What? Well. Let's just see how far we can take this. And this is last week. Right. So, like, you know, I'm doing all this. And I, I at the end, I was like, oh, I feel kind of, all right. I feel kind of aerodynamic and cute. There's still uh, things happening. But also, like, you just start, it, then it starts growing back. Yes, which is the worst part. And you go, I, how am I going to do this all the time? <laughs> this is ridiculous. What have I created? What gambit have I painted myself into? Yeah, well, the worst part is that, like, no one's going to touch you because you're always, like, touching your crotch, right? Because you're, like, trying to get comfortable from all that growing hair. Like, will you stop <laughs> grabbing at your junk? Like, right. Look, stop look, scratching it's, it. It's coming back in. <laughs> I shaved the underside on accident. And girls are like, yeah, sure it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm, 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 I'm well-spoken for. I have a partner who's like, yeah, okay, cool. Do you want to, like, she's, she's a creep, so I'm into that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into it. And I was like, cool, do it for you. Um, cool. Hope my dad's listening. The, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, the hair removal thing is, is the thing. Do you still go full Brazilian? No, God, no. I, I don't know if you're like, well, I started it. Now I have to just oh, keep going. No, um, I was, the, I guess, you know, this is always the thing about like really falling in love with someone is that when you meet the right person, they do not give any about yeah. it at all. They uh, don't care. You're right. They don't care. They don't care what you. They're just like, I like you. Yeah. And everything about who you are yeah. as a person is what makes you sexy. That's not fair. whether not whether or not you have pubic hair. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and good for you. I mean, and I think that's great. But for me, the more somebody accepts me for who I am as a person, the more I want to be a better version of myself for them. Yeah, for sure. Both physically, emotionally, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know? But if they're like, hey, stop doing that one chore where you're like trying to like shave your your. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. privates. Behold in the whole deal. Yeah, yeah. Then it's like, all right, well, that's one one yeah. thing off the yeah. chore list. But I literally had the thought the other day, like maybe I could just Brazilian this if this is just going to be this problem all the time. Yeah. And then I said, like, am I, is that what you're going to do? It's is like, that what you're going to do with your life? Well, yeah. It's like, is that where you want to spend your money? And also, no. it still has to grow back in. Exactly. That's the problem. <laughs> The growing back in part is the nightmare. Yeah, but I'm like, I get why people do the Brazilian thing because if I had to do this on a regular basis, now I've started it, now I got to yeah. finish. Right. But like, you know, if people have to do this on a regular basis, it's a nightmare. Yeah, and I also think like for for women too, there might be like, because um, when I was younger, I definitely was like, a, a, like I wanted to shave everything all the time. I didn't want, you know, I was very sure, like yeah. embarrassed to having like um, any hair. But like now, isn't it like a full grown? And I like say like I'm a grown, ass grown woman. ass woman. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't like not having pubic hair because sure. it makes me look like a child. I, I've heard people say that. Yeah. I never associate those two things. Yeah. You know? But I, I raised two girls. You know I, what I mean? So I like, get it's it. Just like, I'm like, ugh. I, don't, I was like, I don't know if that's the kind of vibe I want to give that's off That's your own life. Yeah. And, and people, I think you should do whatever you want with your, with your biz. Yeah. But, you know, I like, uh, I like to keep it nice and tight. So that yeah, nice and tight. But nice there's, some, and, there's nice something there that makes me say, yeah, okay, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, I look like an adult. Yeah. yeah. Which but, is, to your point about like chest hair, maybe it didn't work for like seventh graders. But it definitely is like, now all my friends, we all love, like we love men with chest hair. Sure. You know? Now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now that we're all booed up and stuff. <laughs> now that everybody's married, Are, do you have a partner? Are you married? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, you, you got remarried. Yeah, I got remarried to uh, a guy who wrote a story about me in the reader about the roller derby. Shut up. Yeah, it's super meat cute. Gross. Gross. <laughs> Is he still right for the reader? Yeah. Uh-huh. What's his name? Mike Sula. Don't know. 
He's a, a Chicago food writer for the for the radio. Oh, right on. Has been for. I don't know, 15 years maybe. Do you, uh, do your, does your writing and his writing, do they ever intersect? Do you work on projects together? Do you give each other feedback or do you keep your he stuff does. totally separate? No, I never give him feedback. I mean, he's, he's like a real, real writer. No, you I know? get that. Yeah, so I don't give him feedback, but he definitely works on, on stories with me. Oh, he does? Yeah. Because, okay. uh, sometimes I'm a little over the top and he's just like, I like it over the top. But you have to be clearer, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, I have a story actually about being a single mom and starting the Windy City Rollers coming out in Chicago Magazine, I think next month. Cool. Um, and so he helped me a lot in like kind of figuring out where I want to go with that story. And it's hard for us because we actually think the roller derby story is so boring because that's where we came in together, you know? Yeah. And we're like, we've told the story a million times. but um, uh, Right, but it's still really a compelling story. Yeah, it's surprising how many people are interested. You know, I'm always – or like people who don't know what roller derby is, yeah. I'm always su- super surprised. But I'm not at all interested in like going, oh, you started a magazine? I don't care. Like, I, right. tell me about roller derby. <laughs> I've started a magazine. Enough of that. You <laughs> right, know? Like, yeah. Let me get to the thing that no one else knows about. Yeah. Um, do, you, so do you still skate ever? No, you never uh-uh. do like I haven't a, skated. You never do like a Hall of Fame game? <laughs> no. No? No. Ah, bummer. Yeah, I don't even go to the roller rink. You don't even go to the... It um, is, I will tell you, skating at the roller rink without hitting somebody is real boring. <laughs> I, yeah, I can imagine. You're just skating in a circle the whole time. It's like playing flag football after yeah. being in the NFL. You're like, why am I, mean, <laughs> like, why am I doing why am this? Why am I doing this? Right. I, I'm in shorts. What, what am I doing? <laughs> uh, so... So when you're, let's talk about writing just a little bit, if you could, yeah. if we, if we could, did you always write? Were you just way into it? Um, I did when I was a kid and then, uh, you know, I had a family and I moved out and I like lived life for a long time. And then, um, I came back to it after retiring from sure. derby. Mm-hmm. I've, I've always found that I've always found it fascinating. The number of people I know who are very competent writers who just, who didn't want to be writers. They just right. went, they were 32 years old and went, you know what? I felt like taking a creative writing class. And then next thing you know, I was in a creative and I was like, how is that possible? All I, well, I, you know, I want, I started writing at a really young age. It's all I ever really wanted to do. Well, I think, um, sometimes to me, really good writers have life experiences. That's true. It, it helps to give you perspective. Yep. It helps you figure Absolutely. out how to make a, a, an interesting character, you know? Yep. Um, I definitely spend a lot of time kind of like watching people. I love Adrian's always talking about my anagram. Did she talk about that when she was here? Yes. She loves the anagram. This is Adrian Gunn two episodes ago. Go look that one up. Yeah. Really, another really fun one. Yeah. Go on. So, um, you know, I'm what, what we call an anagram seven. So I'm an enthusiast, you know, like, You're I a like seven. Yes. Yeah, so like I like to do a lot of different things. I like to you know meet a lot of people. And I'm an extrovert in, in terms of like, I really, really love meeting people because I really love having stories later. Sure. You know? I get that. Yeah. So, like, the more people I meet, the more more I can cover, kind of color the images of of what people look like and yeah. deal with. And um, so, I think that that when you decide to write when you're older, you have that perspective. Of course. You know, you, it's not just like you and your family members that you grew up sure, with, or like sure. you know your high school friends, which also could be great stories on their own. I'm just saying that with a little bit more perspective and a little bit more depth and a little bit yeah. more experience, I think your stories can go deeper. I was having that kind of, I was having that thought to myself not long ago where I was thinking like, why do I not have any? I used to just be the guy who had all the good stories. Like, why do I not have any good stories anymore? It's like, oh, because you don't leave the house, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> the only time you talk to people is on your radio show. Yeah. You know, like that's it. So, and obviously that's not totally true, but it's just I don't interact the way I used to. I don't go out and do stuff because I'm not trying to be part of a scene. I'm not like trying to be friends with folks. You know how do you? Trying yeah. to make friends at 36, which you you can. I mean, that's where I mean, Adrian and I are very close friends. We became friends just five years ago. Sure. Um, another friend of mine that I I'm really close with is girl a girl named uh, Kim Nelson, who's also a writer. Um, we met in 2012. I mean, we'd known each other because she was in the roller derby for mm-hmm. a little while, but we didn't become friends till 2012. So, I mean, a lot of my great real relationships have been like as an adult. Hmm. But I also understand that like as an adult, you tend to value. 
um, your friendships more deeply. Sure. And I think what's more even important than that is you know how to pick your friends. Hmm. Okay. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. I think when you're younger, you're just kind of like, oh, you know, I just want to make, I want to meet people. Yeah. But when you get older and you're like, I have, I have one hour this week. Who am I going to spend it with? It's not going to be that guy. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. You're also like an, you're also an extrovert. So you're used to kind of meeting people and being around people and that sort of thing. Whereas, uh, us wallflower types kind of like blend into the scenery and then just go, <laughs> I will pick you and you're the one, you know, as a- <laughs> just you, whatever you come with, yeah, just watch me blend into, watch me blend into the bookshelf at the party and then leap out at one second and be like, Hey, do you like the stones? And, then, yes. <laughs> and now we're best friends. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, people are just so great cause it's, it really is like what colors all of our stories. There's no story really that you're telling ever that doesn't include a human. That's that's true, unless it's like uh, a 28 hours or whatever, like, you know, 27 hours. You're like, yeah, I was by myself, and that's how my hand fell off. But also still includes a human. Yep. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, (laughs) So uh, the – okay, so for right now, so you've done the roller derby thing, and it's pretty much – it's kind of over – Oh yeah, for, you've already for, passed it off. You're no longer involved in. Yeah, it's in, been like eight seasons. Eight oh, your fingers. Eight just, years, yeah, you're not at all I'm in that pie at pretty all. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. 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 So you're working on hose, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. You're writing for Chicago Magazine. What's your What's your like day to day? I work for <laughs> JW. You're gonna be like, you got to come back. Um, I work for an alderman. Which alderman? Wagusback. He's the head of finance chair. <laughs> Which alderman? But what what ward? Alderman Wagusback, thirty second ward. Oh, thirty two. I'm in thirty three. Yeah. Oh yeah, so you're in the same one as I am. I'm in 33. Rosanna yes. Rodriguez. Yeah, I'm in. I live in 33. Oh, but I work, but you work for, for 32. 32. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. okay, cool. Yeah, that's crazy. City, yeah, city council is. I I've learned a few things that I don't enjoy about city council. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, just no, tell just, me more. Um, the intricacies in which, uh, <clears throat> I don't want to talk out of turn here i feel like there are a lot of there's a lot of local politicking that happens that mirrors the kind of politicking that happens on a national scale that infuriates me like 100 percent uh representatives not properly representing their constituency in order to make sure that they appease some other senator who wants them on another bill kind of thing and you're just like oh so you're screwing people in order to help someone you know it's just that politicking thing yeah and there are a lot of people who go that's what we need in our politicians is that kind of collaboration and i go no our, po- our politicians are paid by us and elected by us so that they represent us. And if Correct. they're not representing us, then that's upsetting. And I find out, uh, because I knew some aldermen um, that are no longer allowed to be aldermen. Uh, <laughs> but I knew some aldermen that would like tell... So many stories under that. Yeah, right? <laughs> In the uh, city council career. Exactly. Yes. Who have told me stories later about like, yeah, there was this massive snowfall. And I was going, hey, my neighborhood, you know, my ward needs to get plowed out and it's not getting helped and blah, 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 blah. And they were like, yeah, well, you voted against uh, Daly's meter bill. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to see it for a week. And it's like, what? And that was yeah. upsetting. I mean, the stories in city council are insane. I mean, I... I love working for city council because I love reading the news, like having sure. a drive to read the news about like all the crazy things. I mean, like that whole story with like Moreno and the, um, the hooker and the stolen car. No, tell me that story. Oh, not, she's not a hooker, but sorry. So the, one of the former aldermen of the first award, he, Proco um, Joe. Yeah. So he got, he filed, uh, filed a, a fake police report. Alleged, allegedly, allegedly, Jesse Smollett um, style, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Said that said that there was a truck. Um, there was like his his car had been stolen, but then 
when they found the car, they found this this chick attached to the car, basically. Like, and she was like, no, he, he loaned me this car. So I don't know what the whole story wow. was. I haven't followed up on reading about it. Wow. But that one was pretty like, oh, God. That's wild. <laughs> or how, you know, Ed Burke, like, how do you that get... dude. How do you get reelected? And, in like, jail. Yes. <laughs> That's how little people understand, like, how it works yeah, piece like, to piece. How... how what? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I... A lot of the things I talk about are things that I, you know, people are always like, "Are you worried about what 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 your boss is going to think about you talking about things?" But I'm like, "But it's on the news." Yeah, you can't talk, stop me from talking about things that are literally on the news. Also, I'm not the one who took the bribe. <laughs> like, <laughs> he doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, if you, you work know? clean, it's not an issue. <laughs> right? You know? um, who was it? Uh, Cochran had gotten into some trouble too at some point. Um, I just, it's just always like you look around and it's like this person's taking this bribe. Oh, Danny Solis, when he like yeah. just disappeared mm-hmm. from city council mm-hmm. for months. Yeah, I was in his <laughs> ward when that happened. Yeah. Over you? Yeah. It was like you, no one's going to act like he's not here for three months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, how's it yeah. possible? I, yeah, I would drive by his office, which was like real big. Solis, Solis, Solis. Yeah. And never anybody in there. Yeah. It was just always just empty. Yeah. Very odd. It's it's a weird and it's a weird job, you know. People have said to me before that they think that I should run for alderman, and I'm like, absolutely not. Yeah, I've thought about it. And I won't do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't want to shake that many hands. I don't want to go to that many block parties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, I'm not interested. Yeah, you know. Um, and then their constituency is super funny. Uh, one of my favorite calls that I will never forget for as long as I lived is uh, I got wait, I just started working at the alderman's office, and this man calls the office and he's like i there's these suspicious men like hanging out in front of my house and i was like okay and he's like they're they're all around my car and i was like well if you think you're in trouble or that they're about to commit a crime call 911 don't call your alderman and um he was like no that's not it you need to get the police over here and i was like we'll call 911 and he's like they're being really suspicious and i was like what are they doing and he was like they're mexican And I said to him, I was like, sir, I can't have the police come and arrest them for being Mexican. <laughs> like, Are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure that still happens. <laughs> I think there's a code, actually. Isn't there? Isn't, isn't like 143 Mexicans I, I was outside? Like, what do you think they're going to do? Like, yeah. fix your tires? <laughs> like, <I don't> what, <laughs> like, what's, what's happening like, there? Yeah. They do some airbrushing on your car all of yeah. a sudden. You know, well, like, okay, so how does that work, right? If... Um, so if you call your alderman, right, you call your alderman, you just go like, look, uh, so for example, I live at a, a, a place with a pretty, I live near the Kimball Brown Line stop, so there's a lot of traffic, there's a lot of walking. Oh, yeah, you there's live near of, Nighthawk. Mm-hmm. I do not live far from Nighthawk. Yeah. Um, so we have uh, one particular crosswalk, though, that is always, cars are just blowing through it, but it's like kids cross there and stuff like that, so there's one of these little, hey, just a reminder, state law, if there's someone in the crosswalk, oh you have to stop, dickhead. Yes. So, and the I thing is that, that thing, I hate those but signs. they're necessary. They are not necessary. Here's why they're necessary, because okay. no one knows the law, and the number of times I've almost been hit by a car crossing the street legally is a problem. Now, So, that's incorrect, though. They do know the law. They do not care about what the law is. Sure, but if there's a sign there... It doesn't stop them. That's why they keep getting hit. That's right. why the crosswalk signs get right. hit. So the, because people are hitting... Like, right. That's the whole thing. It's like, is a sign effective if everyone keeps hitting it? Right. <laughs> so, we just keep putting on the signs. People keep hitting the signs. Right. So, obviously, the the, the fact that it's it's absolutely not effective. Sure. So, what you do you know, do? You call your alderman? You, you can call your alderman and complain. But mostly what you should do is tell all your friends to stop when they're at a crosswalk. <laughs> yeah, also just stop when you're at a crosswalk. Correct. But... 
Yeah. But like what but happens? This- so all right. So take take the crosswalk thing out of it because we're not gonna we're not gonna win that debate. Uh, what is the so if I've got an issue with um, all right my I live near a school or mm-hmm. live near two schools. So it, when I come home in the certain times during the day, there are like dozens of cars of parents parked illegally in our block. Yeah, double parking. Double parking, but it's also a zoned whatever it is because right. I live, Albany Park is the one of the hardest neighborhoods in the city to park in. So there's just cars everywhere and i'm like i'm trying i can't park in front of my own house because all these parents are here double parked and with flashers on and stuff like that what do you do you call the alderman but like are they can't will they do anything can they do anything i mean for for schools like the best thing to do there is ideally having like what they call it like a kiss and go Mm -hmm. like having you know but again you can't you can have a million laws but if people choose to like not pay attention to them or not be part of the system they it takes two people to like throw it all into chaos of course but a kiss and go is like you know obviously the easiest way if like oh, sure if they can bring the kids out to the curbs and then the parents just pick up the kids within like a really organized line right but then you have that one mom with like her Starbucks cup and her sunglasses yep. who's like I'm gonna skip the line and then everyone's like oh she skipped the line so I'll skip the oh, line right 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 you know um, there's a, I mean a lot I think, of that I think the best thing for something like that is to ticket the heck out of those people and I agree That's, the know? thing is there are people that are constantly ticketing the neighborhood uh, there are crossing guards at all everywhere except for in front of the school where all the kids are right. so it's just like who, uh, so you call your alderman and they just go great we'll we'll talk about it and then nothing ever happens well you know? because I think the truth is something's, something is really more about like, human behavior sure. it's like um, people are always like we want more stop signs well if people no. are blowing through stop signs and why add another stop sign hmm. it's not that doesn't really fix it if Agreed. people are just blowing through it right so i mean there's there's a part of it that, that just cannot be resolved because people just want to be a-holes yeah and you can't there's no way for the alderman or for you or the mm-hmm. police or anyone to stop someone from blowing through a stop sign you know i can't put <coughs> excuse me we can't put a cop there all day long on one corner of the street of in the city not. you know of course not so um Ideally, it's like, don't be a, I th- we should just do, do a whole big city campaign called Don't Be a Dick. Yeah. <laughs> like, but how long is that going to last? Right. I mean, that's, that's a challenge. There's a lot of things that can't, that I don't think have easy solutions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, why are we living in, a, Chicago has been around forever, right? A long time. We still can't figure out recycling. Yeah. yeah. Why would we put in a law for like plastic bags and only charge people seven cents? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can get seven cents. Like, well, it costs you seven cents to get a plastic right, bag, correct. but inside that plastic bag are hundreds of plastic products <laughs> from the manufacturer that we can't regulate. That is correct. So, like, maybe we just tell people, like, if you don't, if you come into the grocery store without a bag, you're just not getting a bag. Hmm? That's going to change their behavior, right? Because now there's a consequence to it. Sure. So if you walk into a store, you don't have a bag, and now you have to hand like hand lift right. all your food and walk it through, or make seventeen trips to your car with your groceries. That is like that is like a tangible behavior changing. And I would say that that, but for me, I would say that that specific example like unfairly targets poor. That's what people say. I know, but I'm also like, what are we talking about? If you have um, everyone has bags, sure. So why In theory? Why does that target like not help poor people? Because um, they have to pay the seven cents if they don't have a bag, right? Well, there is that. So there's a, basically a tax for not having a bag. But, right. But most people have bags. Right. Because most... Even if you are poor. And as a matter of fact, I would argue that some of my very poorest friends has lots of bags for sure. some reason. Sure. sure. 
Well, and you know, I mean, it's it's easy for like your your average white consumer who's like, I've got three hundred NPR bag tote mm-hmm. bags that are already made of canvas, and I buy these things and I care about them. And I, I think that uh, affluence certainly leads to, uh, or certain amounts of comfort lead to things like I had the forethought to go and purchase these canvas bags in order to go to whatever. Right, but we could reuse our plastic bags. You're right. You can reuse your plastic bags. You're, you're absolutely right. You can. I'm just saying. I'm just talking about like the specific specifics of the plastic bag of course you can't solve the plastic bag with a seven cent tax but at the same time it's kind of like don't be a dick okay yeah but now you have to carry your apples home in your arms like that's kind of dickish isn't it it totally is but you will never ever forget your bag again Mm. (laughs) so it changes so the whole point is like how do you change people's actual behavior to be implementing things that are the practices that work for them sure you know um we all have like that bag of plastic bags i mean we're all mm-hmm. chicagoans mm-hmm. right <laughs> mm-hmm. it's all we all have them hanging on our doorknobs yep. we could recycle those a million times over you're right you know there's really not a situation that i can think of um in you know economically where you wouldn't have access to that it would just be a matter of thinking about it and then how once you once you're able to like practice that normally i remember oh i remember how um the smoking ban sure it was coming and everyone we had businesses were calling us all the time no i was in i was running a bar when the smoking ban took effect okay so, so I, I everyone have, was I like a we're, dog in this fight. we're, we're going to lose all of our customers sure. everyone's not going to come here anymore and like that is not that's not what happened right so we started pushing people outside everyone's businesses were still open no one closed because they didn't get enough smoking customers mm-hmm. <laughs> And sometimes I think like just being able to kind of push people into making the right choices um, can can help make those changes. Sure, you know? and I think I think you're right uh, to some extent. I mean, the smoking ban. There was an issue where uh, it wasn't so much that people didn't come out to bars, but people didn't stay as long. Mm-hmm. So there was revenue dip there that was provable, both in Chicago and in Boston. Boston being the uh, f- first model that we that I, we looked at, okay. at where I was working. Um, but yeah, so there there was a bit of a revenue dip because like people having to get up all of a sudden, not knowing, not not being used to having to get up and go outside. It's cold outside, whatever it is. We're just like the hell with it. I'll just go home and drink. Right. I'll go home and drink. And I'll smoke in my own house. Right. There, so there is there was a revenue dip for a little bit, but then uh, the human behavior adjusts itself. Correct. And and that, I think that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, the the smoking ban also. I remember um, businesses after like years after it. Uh, we had a business come in, and they're like, "We just took out all the ceiling tiles from when we had smokers." And they're gross. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> they were. They're like, I can't even believe that people yeah. sat in a room. Yeah. So it's also like, if you 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 lose a couple of sales, but your customers live longer, they'll come back. Maybe. Longer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I was a smoker at this time, so I was pissed off about it too. I was like, yeah. I'm not going outside, you know. And of course, I you do, and you just adjust. It's um, it's a it's a little weird. The smoking thing now, like I am so used to it not being not being smoke anywhere, so used to. Not being having to smell smoke anywhere that if someone like lights a cigarette in a building somewhere you're like is someone smoking yeah three floors down because i can smell it now oh yeah when we used to skate at the congress during the middle of like intermission yeah. we would smoke in the like windows upstairs right. <laughs> we used to smoke we I used to smoke in the congress because yeah. you'd go in and you like the, the bouncers would would give you a real hard time at the door and they'd be like uh they'd make you give up your lighter so they just had like a bucket of lighters or whatever it was because they saw cigarettes they're like well we can't just take your cigarettes away from you right so we'll just take everyone's lighters. You're like, great. I have matches in my pocket, and then I would just people just still smoked in the Congress. Well, I also think I mean that's a that's another great example. So what was like the direct change for people to stop smoking is like once we started putting, being like these these cigarettes are going to cost you ten dollars. Yeah, when they got to like thirteen and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Just, I knew people who were like, there's no way I can't afford to smoke a cigarette. Sure, like, they're like, no, not anymore. Yeah. You know, and then like. Um, 
I mean, back to the plastic bags. I mean, like, what if you went to the grocery store and you had to pay $13 for a plastic bag? Mm. You know, that would also change things. So, I, you know, I think that those, those things are really like how do we change people's behavior as opposed to like how much more signage you can do or how much more taxes you can do. Mm. You know, that's the way to really kind of approach those, a lot of those safety issues. Like, sure. Like, don't be the jerk who like cuts in front of everyone. But, of course. You know, I don't know what you do about people who think that they're self important. But that's. You know. I had a guy call my office once and he was like, I need to talk to the alderman right now. And I said, uh, well, he, you know, he's busy. Like, he can't get to the phone. Yeah. Can I help you? I'd be happy to help you. And I was like, so what's going on? And he's like, someone has crapped in my convertible. <laughs> what? For real. Like, somebody, like, through his roof. No, his convertible. Conver- that's what I mean. Like- right. Because, you know, he's obviously very important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he didn't think that in the city of Chicago, when he parked his convertible next to a college bar, that anything could possibly happen. Of course not, right? <laughs> right. And someone pooped in his convertible. Like, <laughs> straight up. Put the top up, stupid. What are you doing? <laughs> yes. Thank you. In the city? You're yes. just leaving the top down? Dummy? What are you doing? And you're leaving it, like, right next to a college bar yeah. where it's, like, $3 buckets of beer. Yeah, like, right. calm down. Just get <laughs> your stupid life together. Yeah. You know what, sir? I'm going to come over there and I'm going to poop in your convertible. <laughs> that That's is what's going to happen. You know what? Leave that top down again. Well, and I was like, what do you want the alderman to do? He's yeah. a legislator. Yeah. <laughs> I think the there's already a law guy. about not defecating That's on other people's <laughs> property. I think there's a law about that already. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think he can do it. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you, I, I think in situations like that, it's like, I don't know what to do with people. Yeah. Well, I just want to stand, I want to like make flyers and I'm not going to, but I've been tempted because I'm a bad person. Uh, not a bad person. I'm just aggressive. <laughs> uh, I've made like been tempted to make flyers. I'm like, here's how you park on a street, you stupid morons. Like, oh, thank you. I if wish this you would is do the no that. parking sign, you back up all the way to the sign. Because if you go like, oh, there's half a car length between you and the sign. Now that's half a car length that can't have a car in it. Correct. You stupid moron. <laughs> if there's a bunch of, if there's a bunch of, there's like car, 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 big gap, big car, big gap, car, car, whatever it is, you pull up next to, in front of, or behind a car that's in front of you or behind you. Correct. Like you don't just go, there's a giant gap. Let me just get in the middle of it and hope the math works out for somebody else. <laughs> It doesn't work that way. I know it makes me super crazy. I want you to make those flyers and just put them on people. Like, but yes. then you're the then you're the guy who's like, you know, there's a Mexican outside. Like, then you're <laughs> that guy. Like, where does it stop? It's a slippery slope into like I saw a guy uh, spit gum on the sidewalk, and now I should just now I moved to Singapore, should, and I just yeah. It's we good. should just run like a, a, a like a class here for like don't be a dick. Yeah, don't classes, be a dick. <laughs> and oh. then you just like we'll give free tickets out, and then people can like give them to a person who's being a dick. Yeah, and then that person now has a ticket to come class. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll make them look like parking tickets. Oh, that's not bad. And I thought about that. I thought about getting a bunch of, and I, I planned this out. Like, I'll buy a bunch of orange envelopes, and I'll take this. You yeah. parked like a dick, and here's a ticket for it. And it's like, is that what you want to do? Is that where you want to put yes. your effort and energy? I also love how mad people get about, like, parking tickets. It's upsetting. People, people lose their mind. As well they should. Yes. As well they should. And you know what? <laughs> if you're listening right now, and you're a parking ticket enforcement, uh, die in a fire. Um <laughs> It's like you chose you chose to ruin someone's day for a living. Like that sucks. I but understand. Again, it's like it says no parking. Don't park there. Mm-hmm. It says no parking, uh, but it didn't yesterday <laughs> until somebody came around and uh, put up one of those yarn signs. Yes, those suckers. <laughs> Let me tell you something. 
Oh, I hate this city. <laughs> oh, it makes me so angry. Because it's like, yeah, I was parked here. I didn't move my car for two days because I didn't drive for two days because I was taking the train like a responsible citizen. It's not my fault you came in, threw up a temporary sign, yeah. and then gave me a parking ticket. Yeah, that's usually the water department. Or, or whomever. <laughs> no, it's usually, I mean, honestly, those signs usually go up there. It's water. Yeah. Yeah, or, but or people's gas. But that's wildly unfair, too. It is unfair. They, they should be posted within a certain amount of time. But, you know, that's another thing. It's like the feedback that I get from residents is usually like, you know, if I'm like, they have to put them up 24 hours in advance. Well, I've been gone for 48 hours. Yeah. All right, well, now they have to be 48 hours. Well, I've been gone for 72 hours. Sure. <laughs> so no, and I understand like, everything. Yeah. I understand how that, how that ball rolls. But, like, I think the idea is not to make money off of people trying to park, you know? Yeah. What if you just did a better job? Okay. All right. That's enough. Uh, <laughs> I could talk to you all day, but we have to get out of here. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. It's after two. See? You thought we weren't going to go long. You were like, <laughs> we have to do a whole hour? Uh, what, is the, what is the worst show you ever did? The worst show Worst I show, ever did. worst derby, worst, worst anything. Just like one where you go, I can't God, believe even, this happened. Even the worst show is like actually a great show for me. <laughs> so, so, so tell the story. I went to do um, a stand-up show where literally there are three people in the audience and seven people in the lineup. In the basement of... I've done those shows. Yeah. In the basement of the Underground Lounge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's super smells. Been there, yeah. Yeah. And there's seven comedians, all dudes, and then me. And then um, there are three people in the audience. One of the uh, audience members was a chick. And then uh, I did the thing. She came up to me and she was like, you're super great. I was like, we're the only ladies in the room, but okay, you know. And then um, she invited me to do uh, Check, Please. And WTTW, she's the producer of WTTW. <laughs> Check, please. Like, yeah, it was the worst show I ever did. And then this woman came up to me, and she became Michelle Obama. <laughs> so you end no, up doing- Check, please, is like every Chicagoan's dream show, right? Uh, like, that's, yeah. We- I had a friend who I kind of look like who did the show, and then I was getting phone calls for like, hey, were you on Check, please? <laughs> Like, who, how many people are watching public television? You, For some reason, Check, Please, for Chicagoans, like, really ticks it off for them. It's they just, love it. It's the one thing. Yeah, so um, completely randomly in this basement show of mostly dudes and this one chick. How was Check, Please? It was fun. What was the restaurant you chose? Uh, I picked a place called a Roy Thai. It's uh, I know a Wilson Roy and thai. Damon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know a Roy yeah, Thai. Great, great, great Thai food. I um I walked by there. Well, when I used to be at Redline, like a, yeah, I go there all the time. Yeah, and they have time. um it's BYOB, mm-hmm. and then the, uh, the guy who runs the kitchen, he's from obviously Thailand. His mom's the chef. His sisters help from the kitchen. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It screws that Siam joint right across the street. The, the competing Thai joint right <laughs> yeah, on the yes. same corner. Like, Those guys are dead to me. <laughs> Roy. Anyway, uh, I hope y'all are having a good day. It, you know what? It's been so cool having you here. Yeah, it's been fun. Like, we don't know each other, and now we know each other. Now we know each other. I'm good. Now I know everything about your private parts. There's, uh, no, you don't. You don't. <laughs> That'll a, be another show. It's a much longer tragedy than you, than you have time for right now. Uh, anyway, I hope everybody's having a great day. You've been listening to Bustin' Mouth on Q4 Radio, QUE4.org. Shot 1680 AM in Chicago. We're here every single Monday, mostly from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. I always have great guests. We talk about rock and roll. We talk about sticking it to the man. Uh, all those things are great and wonderful. If you are digging the tunes today, of course, you can find them at the Bust Mouth esteemed audio companion uh, to Electric Boogaloo right there on the Spotify. It is a free playlist. You can just kind of follow along with us. And we're about to start season three. We're, we're just under a month away from season three uh, of this particular show. And I'm amazed that we continue to churn it out. This is the 77th episode or something like that we did. It's crazy. It's crazy out here in these streets. Anyway, uh, be good. Be good to each other. Be good to yourselves. And uh, let's do a brand new tune from our friends Mo Loud and the Humble touring the country right now. This is Pearls uh, listening on the Q4 radio. See you later.